As Proverbs teaches us about sexual immorality, it symbolizes the seductive pull of lust as a beautiful woman seeks to entice. Let's join our study leader, Dave Woodson, as he explains that women in Proverbs are hardly presented only as a Venus flytrap. It contains one of the highest portrayals of the essence of womanhood in literature anywhere. A woman can be your most competent ally. We want the Spirit of God to be especially among us today as we continue to study, and we're going to change gear a little bit. We've been talking about sexual immorality, and you can almost get the idea that I feel that women are a Venus flytrap. Well, that's not the whole picture. The Scripture really doesn't teach that women are a Venus flytrap. In fact, it teaches just the opposite. And we want to look at a portion of Proverbs, put together another side of the story. Uh, the father in Proverbs share with his sons about the evil woman, a woman that is a Venus flytrap and wants to suck that unsuspecting young person into their grip. I've also tried to communicate that the father is not just talking about a sexually immoral woman, but about sexual immorality generally. And we've been talking about the symptoms of it. We've been talking about the seduction of it. We've been talking about the results. And last time we were together from James chapter 4, we shared that wondrous story of forgiveness, that no matter how deeply we become involved in this trap, we can escape through the love of Christ when he did for us on Calvary. We want to change gears completely and talk about a competent ally. Every one of you fellows, according to the will of God, not every one of you, but the majority of you, the Lord wants you to grow and to meet someone who can be a competent ally. And if you've found a competent ally, you need to praise her and honor her. And if ever I could take the minds of young people and just open them up and say, hey, let me pour this in. This is what really counts. This is what you really want to look for. I really like talking about the godly wife under the rubric of a competent ally. I think that so many times in, in approach to biblical Christianity that what the scripture teaches about women is given a raw deal. I think many times Satan is trying to communicate in our culture that if you follow the biblical plan, the women are going to be uh, pregnant barefoot, their apron on in the kitchen all the time. And in fact, I've even had some believing friends, some believing brothers that really believe that that's what the scripture is teaching and you go into their home and their wife will never say boo to you. I've even been in some homes where the wife wouldn't even talk to you. She was kind of like the silent slave girl. And there's even been some books that have been written like that and I feel very hurt over that because I think it's once again one of the terrible, terrible lies that Satan tells us. It's so easy for us to read, wives, obey your husbands. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. And for us as husbands to read into that some very deep chauvinistic attitudes, some very deep alienation attitudes, attitudes where we really don't respect someone, where we really don't treat a woman as if she is a full human being. And down through the history of time, it is true that there have been many situations where women have not been treated with full value. They have not been honored. They have not been praised. In fact, this really all goes back to the alienation that started in Genesis chapter 3. The truth of the matter is that there's a very deep-seated, personal, psychological, emotional animosity that is present between men and women. It comes out in a lot of competitiveness, it comes out in a lot of misunderstandings, but there's a very deep-seated alienation. 
We're all alienated from one another, but when you throw in the differences of the sexes, there can easily be an even greater alienation. And though that we're born-again believers, though we've come to know Christ, and we've been set free from having to be dominated by these attitudes, it's still easy for us to fall prey again. Because of it, it's hard for us sometimes to even hear accurately what God's Word is saying. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31, and we'll begin with verse 10. Let's try to allow the Holy Spirit to help us to get by maybe some of the things we were raised with, maybe some false attitudes that we have, because I believe that it's possible that there's some hurting wife here who really feels that God is against her, feels that her husband doesn't really appreciate her. And I think you can learn some truths that will just be like a healing salve on your personality today. I also believe there's some young men. Sons, I want you to really listen this morning. Because this is the kind of a woman you want to walk down the aisle to you. And she's very hard to find. In fact, to be honest with you, Marriage is always somewhat of a gamble. You never know quite what you're getting into. And I think all of us that are married, that have been married for several years, will look back over our lives and we'll go, thank you, Lord. Out of the midst of all my youth and all my desires and all that I wanted to get, I'm so thankful that your sovereign hand was upon me. What I'm saying is that according to the book of Proverbs, if you find this kind of a woman, it's not because you earned her. It's not because you deserved her. It's not because you have everything lined up in your life just right. It's like everything else in the Christian life. You've received her as a gift. And so if you receive this kind of a noble wife as a gift, you be sure to thank the Lord for her. And I would encourage you this coming week to give a lot of thanks to her. The passage begins in verse 10 with a wife of noble character. And right away with that little phrase, the wife of noble character, we have peeled away any thinking that you might have gathered from the book of Proverbs that the Old Testament and the New Testament has a low view of women. This phrase, noble, this little word noble, forever nails a coffin, a lid on a coffin of the idea that the scripture teaches that a woman doesn't have value. This word is one of the most strong words in the Old Testament for someone that does have value, someone that does have worth. The Old Testament will talk about great warriors in the household of David. They call them men of valor. And this is the word that was used. And so we could translate, a woman of valor. Now we're not talking about a woman who can go out on the battlefield and kill a 30,000 troops with a jawbone of an ass. That's not what we're talking about. But here this idea of an eminent one, of a powerful one, is used in the moral context of a woman who has a strength of character, who has competence, who has real skill and ability. And it's saying that this wife of noble character, who can find her? And young people, that's something you need to really think about. This woman is very rare. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, that fellow had a very sad life. It said he went sorting through a thousand women. If Solomon was the author, he was married to a thousand women, and he didn't find one good woman among a thousand. Now that's not so much a statement about the character of women, it's a statement about the character of Solomon. He didn't know how to choose. He picked the wrong ones at the wrong places at the wrong times. He had terrible experiences in his life with women. In fact, the old Hebrew rabbis, when a young Hebrew boy got married, 
they would ask the question. There's a play on words in Hebrew. In Ecclesiastes, when it says, I have not found a good woman among a thousand, it uses a certain tense of the Hebrew verb. And then in the book of Proverbs, when it says, He who findeth a wife findeth a good thing, it uses the present tense. And so an old sage at a Hebrew wedding would ask, have you, uh, is the word the present or the past? And the idea is, are we in Ecclesiastes or are we in the book of Proverbs? Has this man received a good gift from the Lord or is he still looking for that one woman among a thousand that I'll never find? Ladies, I want you to understand from the depths of my heart, I want you to really get a hold of this. In God's family, you are not second-rate citizens. The scripture talks about your nobility, and it's a very strong word. It talks about competence, it talks about skill, and your husband might communicate to you that you're a real jerk, you're a real idiot, you can't do anything right, and husbands, if you tell someone that long enough, if you tell your kids that long enough, if you tell your wife that long enough, you're going to get exactly what you're telling them. Because none of us can live in an environment day in and day out where we don't feel competent, where we're not trusted. Some of you at work are laboring in that kind of an environment. You have a boss that never recognizes your nobility. They're always cutting you down and your confidence level just goes down to zero. And that can happen in our homes. And so the book of Proverbs says that it's hard to find this noble, competent wife but her price is worth far more than rubies. The book of Proverbs says that your father and mother can give you money, but a good wife can only come from the Lord. Your mom and dad might be able to give you a lot of money, but only the Lord can lead you to this kind of a noble woman who will do you good all the days of your life. I want you to notice it doesn't imply that this woman is impossible to find. She's a rare gem. Most things in life that are really precious are not just standard commodities. They're usually very hard to find. They're usually very rare. And the noble wife is no exception. So in verse 10, we're introduced to the idea that the book of Proverbs believes that women are not Venus flytraps. There are women who are very noble, who are very competent, who are worth more than any dollar you could ever put upon them. In fact, there's no price tag. So even in the Old Testament, women were not viewed as something that could be bought and sold. The father is telling his son in this context, you can never buy, you can never spend enough money to get the kind of a woman who's really noble. She's priceless. She's above the cost of money. She has that kind of value. And look at verse 11. We're underscoring her husband's confident trust. The big idea I want you to get as we go through verses 11 and 12 is the idea that this husband really puts a lot of confidence in his precious woman. And I want some of you men to think very deeply about the skills of your own wife today and whether or not you put confidence in her. The truth of the matter is, because of some of the alienation, I think it's very hard for some of us as husbands to be mature enough, to be secure enough, to be strong enough leaders that we can recognize that the Lord gave us a very competent, a very skillful woman. In fact, I'd be willing to wager that every single husband, if he'll think through things carefully, he'll be able to find some areas where his wife far excels him, has far more ability than him. 
And some of you husbands are deeply threatened by that. And so you're cutting your wife down. You never let her blossom. You never let her bloom. You're always afraid. And that's not godly leadership. This husband, it says in verse 11, her husband, and the word there is her master, her lord, so there's really a statement of respect. This woman very powerfully honors her husband, but it says that her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. To me, that's one of the most incredible verses in all of Proverbs. If I were to ask you men, how many of you men think the Bible teaches that you as men should depend upon a woman? How many of you guys would raise your hand? Most of you would stand up and go, oh, no, no. We're the macho biblical leaders here. We're supposed to depend upon ourselves and keep those women under control. This says that her husband puts full confidence in her. If you go through the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs tells you not to trust in several things. In Proverbs 11:28, it says, don't trust your money. A lot of you men put a lot of trust in your money. You think it'll bring you security. You spend a lot of time reading the Wall Street Journal. You're going to learn all about money. You're really depending upon it. When you got a lot of it, you feel good. You feel competent. You feel like really confident. When you lose it, then you feel terrible. There's a lot of pressure over that. And what it does is reveal where our trust really is. It reveals what we're really depending upon. Because when we start to get uptight, when we start to be emotionally uh, concerned about things, it shows a lot of times where our real security lies, where our peace lies. We can't trust in money. We need to use it wisely. We need to use it skillfully. Money is not what holds our life together. We can lose it all. We can lose everything. Lots of people in the world do. But you and I as born-again believers, if we lose everything, we still have our dependence upon the Lord. And if you have that, you have everything. The Bible says in Proverbs 11:28, don't put your trust in money. It's really easy to depend upon our own self-sufficiency. A lot of times in the power of positive thinking, they're trying to motivate you. Put, trust yourself. Depend upon yourself. You can do it. And there's this whole concept of, I'm going to go out there and do it. Proverbs says no. Don't put your confidence just in yourself. It doesn't tell you not to think well of yourself. It doesn't tell you not to accept the gifts that God has given to you. But it says don't rest your life depending upon what you can do alone. So don't put your trust in money. Don't put your trust in self-sufficiency. You all know according to Proverbs 3, 5, we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. 16, 20, 28, 25, 29, 25. Every one of the verses say, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Now the scriptures tell us that. Here it is, one, two, three, four times in the book of Proverbs, we ought to do it. Now, the fourth one is the one that really catches you by surprise. When I got married, and Mary and I were united together, should I trust in Mary? Well, obviously, you know I'm going to trust the Lord with all of my heart, but you know that I am to go on and to trust my wife. I want all of you husbands to ask yourself, do you trust your wife? Now, I'm not talking about, oh, yeah, she's going to be faithful to me. Yeah, that's part of it. But that's not really what we're talking about. As we go through this passage, I'm pretty sure that most of you husbands will probably start biting your nails a little bit about this husband. Because this husband lets his wife do things that most husbands would be scared to death to let their wife do. Now, on the other side of the coin, she is a woman of valor. She is a noble wife. She's a very competent wife. But this husband 
puts full confidence in her. And the idea is not that he depends upon her and knows that, he'll, that she'll be morally pure. That's part of it. But in this context, in Proverbs 31, what it means is when this husband got married, he realized that his wife had value. He realized that his wife had certain abilities. He realized that there were special talents that she had. And he is willing to put full confidence in what his wife can do. In the areas of her abilities, in the areas of her gifts, he lets her have a lot of responsibility. He lets her have a lot of freedom. And he praises her and he creates an environment where this woman can really grow and she can exercise her abilities. Some of you wives have the idea that the Bible's teaching you, you know, you're to be submissive to your husband. That means that you don't have any competency yourself. Some of you wives are very angry over it because in your marriage there's a lot of things you can do better than your husband. In other words, there are some areas where you as wives really do know more skillfully how to handle certain areas. But some of you husbands are afraid to recognize that because you think if you give someone responsibility, then they're out from underneath your control. I want to share something with you about leadership. Real, powerful, true leadership is just the opposite of that. You know what a good leader is? A lot of times a good leader is someone that really doesn't do anything very well as far as skills with his hands or skills in using money or skills and things like that. They might not have a lot of ability that way. What they have an ability to do is to choose the right people. They have a, an uncanny knack to choose people that are dependable, that you can trust, that keep their word. They have an uncanny knack to be able to create an environment where people can grow. And that's what it's talking about here. This husband has full confidence. It reminds me of, a, of an elderly fellow that used to live up in Grand Rapids. And he has one of the leading office furniture places in all the world, a big, big company. And he had a young man that was coming up through his company, and he was terribly unhappy. I mean, he couldn't do anything right. He just rebelled against the company. He was angry. And one day, this elderly executive called him in his office and said, what's the matter with you? And the guy bellyached about everything. And finally, this elder executive said, son, you're young, you're talented, you're one of the greatest designers I've ever seen. What do you really want? And the young man said, what I really want is my own company. I want just a little company where I can take my ideas and I can, I can benefit from using my skills by building a company for my own. And this elderly gentleman said, fine, I'll be your first investor. I'll put up the capital to put you in business. Now that sounds crazy. Most of us in our business relationships would feel, man, here's a competitor, let's get him. But you see, this executive was a real leader. He was an older man that knew what it was like to dream, who knew what it was like to have abilities, who knew what it was like to want to develop those abilities. And he saw potential in this young man, and he put his confidence. He recognized this young man's competence, and he put confidence in the young man. You know what happened to that older man because of that? That young man did get going in a company. That young man designed two or three business chairs that netted the parent company millions upon millions of dollars. That young man also became a devoted, lifelong friend to that older executive. And that's usually the way life works. But so many times in the marriage relationships, you might be married to a woman who's very competent. You got married to her and suddenly you realize, hey, this girl's really got a lot of ability. But it scared you. 
It frightened you. So you go like this and you put the clamps over it. And now as some of you come up through middle age and life begins to change, which it does for all of us, the basic tenor of life is constant change. And your wife begins to say, hey, you know, the kids are growing. I want to get out and do some things. And some of you husbands go, oh, no, that's terrible, all the change. Boy, I don't want her to get out there. Scripturally, don't be afraid. Be a friend. Be a strong man. Your precious wife will always need your loving, tender support. And though she doesn't like to admit it sometimes, she needs your secure, faithful, confident leadership. No matter how competent she is. But if you're really a strong leader, like this husband is in Proverbs 31, you'll create an environment where you'll be able to trust in her. You'll be able to depend upon her. And you know what will happen? She'll make all kinds of things for you. You will have no need of spoil. And the word that's used here for spoil is a word that would be used of a soldier going out, winning a great battle, and then getting all this plunder. Here it's used of all the things that a wife can generate. Now, husband, you shouldn't do this selfishly, but the truth of the matter is, if you're married to a competent woman, if you create an environment where she can fly, if you create an environment where she can really utilize her abilities, if you'll put confidence in her, I promise you, she'll generate. She'll generate prosperity. Not necessarily material prosperity, but in Proverbs 31, that's where the focus is. She'll generate prosperity that you would never imagine. And she'll bring a lot of blessings into your home. Let's look at some of the competency that this woman has. We've learned in verses 11 and 12 that a good husband, a faithful husband that receives a good gift from the Lord and has married a competent wife, she is to be given on a situation, an environment where she can really fly. I'll just caution you a little bit. If you were unwise and you married the other kind of a woman, then you're not going to be able to put confidence in her. And if you put confidence in her, she'll break your leg. Because leadership always has to judge character. And that's a hard thing. In fact, one of the most difficult contrasts in life is the man who married a noble woman and the man who married a fool. And the contrast is one of the strongest contrasts you'll ever see in life. The rabbi used to tell a story of a good man that was married to a good woman. And things went haywire in their marriage, and their marriage fell apart, and the good man went and married an evil woman. And the evil woman turned the good man into a bad man, and the good woman went and married an evil man, and the good woman turned the evil man into a good man. Get it right, okay? And the idea was the rabbis were recognizing the principle that we all say behind every good man, there's a good woman, and the powerful influence that this woman has. So if you married a good one, you need to... Praise her. Now, what are some of the competencies that she has? Well, first of all, in verses 13 through 25, the writer goes rambling along. It sounds a little bit like rambling to us because he wasn't a Westerner that liked everything in A plus B plus C sequences. Also, you don't know it, but every single one of these verses begins with one of the 22 Hebrew letters. And when you're following this acrostic, when you're going from Aleph to Bath to Gimel, the different Hebrew uh, letters then he has to come up with a line that will begin with the right Hebrew letter. 
And so it was kind of a memory device, but sometimes he'll skip from one subject to the next. And that's why you'll have some mention of sowing maybe in one verse, and then you'll skip six verses, and he'll come back to that again. I'm going to try to bring some of that together and give you a feel for this household, what this household is like. In verses 13 through 25, the overarching thing that he's getting across to us is this woman is incredibly competent in household management. What does Proverbs mean when it talks about a woman being incredibly competent in household management? Dave will answer this question as he continues our discussion of the competent ally in our next encounter with truth. Until next time, we challenge you to examine the Word of God firsthand so that you can teach wisdom to the next generation.